Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Authenticity. It's a huge concern for most of us. And why, I wonder, is being yourself so hard? It's something that is intriguing because we run around this entire life with one person, ourselves. And yet we find that truly being authentic, truly being true to ourselves is one of the biggest challenges we face throughout our lives. You guys know that I faced this very concretely when I almost married the wrong person and I had to dig deep and say, am I being true to myself if I step into this marriage? And as you might imagine, there is psych research on authenticity. Psychologists endeavor to help us all understand what it means to be authentic. But first of all, we have to define the term authenticity. What are we even talking about? And researchers find that when they ask people about authenticity, they hear these sorts of comments. They hear that being your true self is when your behavior reflects the real me inside. When you say what you really think, when you express your opinion, and then conversely, inauthentic living is behaving in a way that feels at odds with deeper values of who we believe ourselves to be. People also describe inauthentic living as being phony and not stating your true opinion and saying what you want others to hear. But the tricky thing is that all of us have to do that sometimes, right? All of us have to play the game, so to speak. If I'm at work and my boss says something that I don't particularly like, I probably won't tell him exactly what's on my mind. So we all have to, at times curtail our authenticity, to get along, to get a paycheck, and to exist in a social setting. At the same time, if we find that too often throughout our lives, in too many different domains, we are having to be phony or edit ourselves at every turn, we will find that we feel globally inauthentic. And when we feel globally inauthentic, we are not resonating with an authentic life. And according to the psych research on authenticity, authentic living is related to all kinds of great stuff, like having more vitality in your life, having a higher self-esteem, having a broader set of coping skills. You have more satisfying relationships if you're living authentically. You have a higher sense of self-worth, higher sense of purpose, more confidence in mastering challenges. You're able to achieve your goals and you're realistic about your own performance. You're less defensive and you're less likely to blame others for what's going on with you. So clearly when we're authentically living, we are thriving in life. And in fact, a recent study by Gan, Heller, and Chen in 2018 was called The Power in Being Yourself. Feeling authentic enhances the sense of power. And they found that their hypothesis was accurate, that we gain a sense of subjective power by being authentic. So authenticity breeds power and agency, and that's something we all want more of. 
Not so that we can be dictators and powerful in the sense that we want to rule over others, but so that we can be in control of our lives, take charge of our lives. So this is the kind of thing we're talking about today when we delve into authenticity. I'm going to invite Lise Wilcox to talk about authenticity, resilience, and thriving in life, even through divorce and chemotherapy. Lise Wilcox is a writer and mindset coach from a tiny beachfront town east of Toronto. A mom of three lovely girls, her passion is working with women to help them dig deep, get clear and confident with who they really are, and help them find, express, and use their voice for good in a lifestyle-friendly way. When not happily engaged with clients or kids, Lise can be found stargazing, dreaming about an A-frame cabin in the woods, or anywhere tacos are. So Lise, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your time. And just so listeners know, we connected on Instagram and just felt this genuine connection going back and forth. (laughs) I would comment on her really quality, profound posts, and then she would comment on some of my stuff. And and then eventually the DM started happening. We figured... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we got to make this thing happen. So we're working on a couple collaborations. So stay tuned for those. But just to introduce Lise to my listeners and, and get a sense of what she's about and what she's out here doing. Uh, Lise, just give us a little bit of your journey and how you came to this space and Instagram, of course, but also everything <laughs> you're doing as a coach and so forth. Oh, thank you. Instagram has actually been fundamental in where I am today um, because it really started out as a connection to the outside world. Um, you know, back in my twenties, my first iteration of career choice was as a Montessori teacher. And, um, after being a teacher for a few years, a good few years, um, I started my own family. And when I was at home with my family, I had three kids in two years because I had a set of twins in there. And, um, very quickly, I realized that while I was going to be at home raising my girls, I really wanted to still use all the information I had about child development and healthy connections and healthy relationships. So I started writing a parenting column. And when that parenting column started and I wanted to, um, you know, hold a megaphone up to it and reach more people than were just in my community, I started learning how to use social media. And so Instagram, as I said, was fundamental in that, and blogging and Facebook, et cetera. Um, but it was really on Instagram where I started to develop, I guess, my own brand and my own um, social presence. Um, then kind of juxtaposed against that as a few years went by, because I got pretty good at using Instagram, I started uh, a boutique creative and branding agency. And whenever I took on a new uh, client through the branding agency, it was almost exclusively female entrepreneurs. Um, But 100 times out of 100, when they came to us with uh, branding requests and, you know, strategy um, concerns, you know, I'd scratch the surface just a little bit and every single client had limiting beliefs and fears that were holding them back. And, you know, that pervasive... Uh, that pervasive theme of, well, my husband thinks this is just a hobby. Like, how do I show him this is my legit career? All that kind of thing. So I didn't know it at the time, but I was actually running a coaching business at the same time. (laughs) And um, again, like as, you know, 
years went by and my own life changed dramatically in terms of my personal life with a divorce thrown in there, then um, my social media presence kind of became my own brand and business and turned into be a more honest um, coaching, coaching business, writing business, all lumped into one. I think so many listeners are going to resonate with your journey of obviously there's a lot going on that's happened and it's been circuitous in the route. Mm -hmm. And of course, I, I, I think I can speak for both of us that oftentimes that meandering portion mm -hmm. that feels like, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's really instrumental. It's mm -hmm. all, it's all meant to happen in this way so that we can have these experiences and then pull them together mm -hmm. in what we now call, as you said, a brand, yes. which I, <laughs> how great I, is that? I know, which is so funny to me because I remember when I wrote my book mm -hmm. and then I was trying to get some consultation for how to promote it and so mm -hmm. forth. And this was just like you. It was just the the natural and obvious and actually mm -hmm. the optimal option was to dive into social media. Mm -hmm. And I remember someone saying, well, for your brand. And I go, my brand? <laughs> like, what are you I was like, I wrote a book. I'm a psychologist. I'm an author now. I, I speak, but I don't have a brand. And he said, oh, oh yes, you do. <laughs> so I think it's just so helpful. And also, I love what you talked about empowering women mm -hmm. who, like you said, don't even recognize what they're doing and you helping them go, oh yeah, but this is powerful stuff and this mm -hmm. is important content and people need what you have to offer. So let's package it in a way that they can receive it. Uh, my favorite expression um, is the Trojan horse. And I love it's, you know, I love it when I can deliver one piece of content that looks like X and is actually Y. And I find mm -hmm. that really true with the clients that I work with too, is that they come to me because they want to, I don't know, they like the look and feel of my Instagram. So they come to me to mm -hmm. learn how to use Instagram. And actually then we have this great pleasure of getting super real with each other and finding out, you know, like what has been stopping you and what do you actually want to do? And what are the factors that you feel are getting in your way? And how do we move those out of the way? And um, I don't know, it opens up a really, really beautiful, and as I said, honest, authentic connection um, that makes my work not even feel like work. Like it's just fun and such an honor to help people basically give them the permission they need to be themselves, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. No, it, it reminds me of therapy really, yeah. because you are just creating a space for them to evolve. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, yeah, you know that you're bringing some ideas and some inspiration, but you know that it's their thing and their yeah. baby and their brand, but you're going to create that context where they can really see what they have to offer. In therapy, we talk about holding up a mirror. You're yes. basically showing them who they are and what they're yes. about in a way that maybe that clarity wasn't available to them in, in another space. Well, and that's this beautiful thing, as I'm sure um, you already know and is familiar to you, is that everybody already has the answers they need inside yes. of them. And that as, you know, from my own personal experience, that was a powerful shift when I recognized that, that I actually didn't need anybody to fix me or heal me. I really just needed um, somebody to, I guess, slow me down and teach me how to listen to myself and what I already knew to be true. And so for me to be able to play that role in other people's lives, uh, again, privately with clients, but also daily on a huge platform like Instagram is just yeah. amazing. And I just have to say, so of course, shout out to check out your page. It's 
it's beautiful Thank you. aesthetically, which, <laughs> which I love because I have, I don't have that artistic eye, but I have friends who are designers. So they yeah. helped me kind of appreciate things that I maybe wouldn't have appreciated before. And also your content and your, uh, you were just so genuine and it Thank is you. so, it, it just is. It's so beautiful and so refreshing because as we all know, there are <laughs> folks out there who are basically bait and switch. Like, mm-hmm. hey, read this content because the only reason I want you to read this content is because I have this $3,000 course that I yeah. want you to sign. Yeah, exactly. So there's just none of that happening with you. So I just yeah. want to assure my listeners that Thank this you is so much. legit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. But I have to ask because you are so raw and real and genuine on Insta. I do know that divorce uh kicked your butt and yet that's an understatement (laughs) (laughs) so lise and something that i'm really struck by is that in the midst of what i perceive from my vantage point as this very self-made woman who is so accomplished and has tackled this new technology and social media platform (laughs) and you have this brand and this business and it looks so fabulous from the outside but i know that you've gone through some really dark dark times in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. that what appears to be the case, because you're so vulnerable and raw, I know that there is, there's more to the story here. I was wondering if you'd share with my listeners some of how that has played into your journey. Oh, you bet. Uh, I was speaking at an engagement recently, and this came up because we were talking about how, um, you know, most of the the most successful or accomplished, or I'm going to even say like interesting people that we know in our lives, tend to not have had an easy path, right? Most Mm -hmm. people don't get to where they are by being like, yeah, you know what? It was the whole thing was just really easy. (laughs) I didn't have to to like overcome anything. Most people who have a really interesting story have some kind of adversity or struggle that they've overcome. It's like a classic hero Mm -hmm. narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, divorce was definitely a part of that for me because I, I really do pride myself on having a very authentic and genuine personality and presence. And um, that sometimes looks really shiny. Uh, and of course, underneath it is this like raw vulnerability that I tend to be pretty open about sharing. Um, divorce was really hard to share because it was so not just about me and my own experience. It was about mm. an entire family and, you know, another person and um, these concentric rings of loss that I refer to that I just really didn't see coming. Like, you know, when a marriage ends, um, an entire family dynamic changes and the best, the best, I I like to think in metaphors as you probably know. And, um, the best metaphor that I can give, it's super dramatic. Um, but I really felt like making the decision or I guess having the awareness to realize that uh, our marriage was over and being the person to kind of call that out. Um, it felt like detonating a bomb, you know, like it just mm. felt like, here we go. I don't want to do this, but I've got to do it so that I can live in a way that it feels authentic and true to me. Um, so I pushed that button and then for, you know, two or three years felt like I was kind of rummaging around in the debris and picking up pieces that like turning over pieces being like, this looks familiar. Oh, but I don't think it fits here anymore. And oh, here's another piece that I recognize. And I think I can make use of this still. And just really trying to gather all those old pieces. It was really, really hard. And, um, you know, it, it really did 
I don't even mean this metaphorically. I think it actually did break my heart. And you alluded to earlier another valley that I've experienced recently, and that um, is uh, breast cancer. And I really think that the heartache incurred in divorce and all of the, I don't know, emotional thought processes leading up to it and that, that followed, especially with three kids in tow, um, I really think divorce played a role um, in me developing breast cancer. Um, so that all sounds really dire and stark. Um, and I, I genuinely believe it isn't all dire and stark. It was definitely, definitely the worst experience of my life and still remains, you know, the hardest but best decision that I ever made because in going through all of that adversity and learning, oh my gosh, learning how to make a really difficult decision um, that ultimately was a good one, um, it puts you through all kinds of challenges that you didn't even know you would need to face. Anytime we go through a challenge, you come out so much stronger on the other Mm -hmm. side, right? And I, I... I don't know. I didn't have an easy childhood. So many people don't have an easy childhood, but mine made me go into a slumber, you know, just as a coping mechanism. I felt like I was asleep for a good 30 years. And one day I woke up and I couldn't, like, I couldn't go back to that same sleep state. So I had to take some pretty, pretty dramatic action in my life. Mm -hmm. And divorce was that. Um, And as I said, going through that process really just helped me get very, very clear, like unapologetically clear on who I am, what that means, what I want, what my purpose is, um, what my values are, and in a way that is completely unique to me, not what anybody else's expectations of me are, um, only only in a way that I am accountable to myself. Yeah. So, I mean, I, wa- I want to talk a little bit about, I want to unpack a little bit of what you sure. talked about, if you don't mind going into a little bit more depth. So, mm-hmm. First of all, I want to touch on the rings of loss because I don't know about Canadian culture, but I would I would submit that American culture is pretty darn horrible with grief yeah. and honoring grief and respecting grief and understanding grief. Yeah. And so what when you say rings of loss, it it comes to mind maybe a, a ripple effect. Yes. Maybe um, we talked about the cycle of grief, mm-hmm. the stages of grief don't even I mean Kubler Ross, obviously mm-hmm. good point. But yes. it's not that you go through, check off that stage and oh, you're done. I know, I know. They, they revisit. <laughs> I really so, thought it was a checklist, like yeah, straight up. Right. I was like, cool, I did that. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm in the, the aisles at Walmart and there's depression all over again, you know? Right. <laughs> And sometimes out of nowhere or yeah, yeah. something, like you said, something random, you're picking up something, like oh literally in your house, an object, and all of a sudden you're on your knees yes. in, a, in a heap yes. and you're sobbing yes. hysterically. It that's can all come accurate. Just, yes. And, and I, that's what I appreciate you just being willing to share because <laughs> I am all about, and people who know me mm-hmm. and my feet, I am all about, you know, get happy and, and, mm-hmm. and yes, make it happen. Mm-hmm. But I'm also very cognizant of the fact that we have a full range of human emotions and they are there for a reason. And if we don't let them be Mm -hmm. and just sit with them at times and recognize that it would be a little weird if you weren't depressed after a divorce, (laughs) (laughs) don't sit with them. Then we we think we're, we we think we're crazy Mm -hmm. when actually what we're experiencing is uh, uncomfortable, undesirable, but perfectly normal. Yes. Yes. And it's very difficult. I found it very difficult to, um, 
I think stay cognizant of that. Just, I felt like I was under such a microscope Mm. and, uh, that presented its own set of challenges. Was that from worrying about how your girls were perceiving you or your family or your public folks that your followers are? It was so so weird because I live in a small town. And so, you know, my expectation, I mean, we could do an entire podcast on expectations, right? (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Um, My expectations were totally not aligned with reality because I thought that, you know, our marriage would end. We'd basically send out some kind of a press release effectively that's like, (laughs) hey, the marriage didn't end, uh, but here's how we're carrying forward. Again, I have this education background, right? So people were not, uh, what's a good word? people were pissed that I, that we were divorced and they like, I got a lot of blame and a lot of shame. And, you know, you use the mirror analogy. I, people held up a lot of mirrors to me about their own relationships and their own fears, which is, um, you know, I'm pretty self-aware and, and pretty strong and I could handle a lot of it, but it came at, you know, the most vulnerable time of my life for people out of totally out of the woodwork, just to start holding up all kinds of accusations about choices that I was making and how they perceived that to affect their life. So where I thought the marriage was going to end and we were just going to, you know, just live in different houses and stay friends and have all the same friend groups and still have fan, like combined family barbecues. Um, I was wrong. I understand that. I understand that you can get there over time and things have gotten easier over time, especially with like extended family relationships. They've gotten really lovely and there's been a lot of healing, which I'm really happy. Happy doesn't even cut it. I'm really genuinely thrilled um, that that's happening. Um, But man, at first it was, it was just a disaster. I have this education background. So for, for me to tell the kids, it was really easy and really simple because I know enough about children and the way they need and perceive information that I gave them exactly what they needed to know in exactly the right way as it affected their life. And that was just like little bite-sized pieces of information as it pertained to them. So it made the whole unfolding process very natural and, and they were so protected and, you know, both of us, both of the grownups involved in the situation were really good about keeping opinions, et cetera, to ourselves mm-hmm. that, um, they were also sheltered from any of the stuff that people thought they were going to be really subjected to. No. And I, I love that because of course, dealing with everything it's, it's, it's momentous and it, and it's huge and, yeah. and it just, but for the kids, I love that you were aware enough and had that background oh, yeah. because I, you know, my, my, actually my doctorate's in developmental psychology. So Amazing. I can really get on board with what you're talking about, really recognizing their cognitive development and not mm-hmm. giving them more than they can handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's, again, that's an entirely, <laughs> that's a different oh, episode. Yeah. So I'll have to have you back to talk about that. <laughs> I feel like there are so many parallels for me between divorce and, and breast cancer because mm-hmm. both are pretty shocking traumas to your life, right? Like they're pretty big disruptors, like as we would say in marketing. And, um, (laughs) you know, what was so similar about them is for when we decided that we were going to split up and we were still living in the same house all together as a family of five, I said to the girls, so we remain a family and your dad and I love you so much. Um, what's going to look a little bit different is if you wake up in the middle of the night and you need mommy, I'll be in this room. And if you wake up in the middle of the night and you need daddy, he's going to be in this room, right? That was like the very basic stuff. And so the next time, the next conversation was like, um, girlies, 
Um, remember I said, we're getting divorced. Okay. So remember I said, we're staying a family. Okay, great. Um, what this looks like now is we're actually going to sell this house and we're going to get two different houses so that when you're with mommy, we'll be here. And when you're with daddy, you'll be here. So, and you know, the girls came with me to look for a new house together. It was, they were so involved in that process. And, you know, I really involved them in all of those ways because it felt so good to do so. And it made the whole experience so much less frightening for us as like this little team. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, for, for cancer, it was the same thing. It was, you know, you just have to be really careful because mommy had an operation and that side of my body is really tender. You know, a few weeks later it was like, Oh, do you remember I had that operation? Remember I was healing from that? Oh, okay. So that was called cancer and we've had it removed and you've talked about cancer at school to celebrate the Terry Fox run that we have here annually. So it's just like little detail by little detail, um, kind of, delicately parceled and packaged in a way that was so digestible and so normalized for them. Um, Mm. And, you know, circling back to the Trojan horse of it, me breaking it down into all those little simple, compact drama and ego-free details made both of the experiences so much more palatable for me. If Mm. that that makes sense, because I was just able to like, you know, digest it on my own in a different way. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense in a way. The, the task of trying to disseminate the information to your children yes. helped you process it. Yes. In, I, I got to make this manageable for me too. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, this whole time my inner child is like, cool. You know, just, just like, I got it. Um, it, was, it was self-soothing for you. Yes. I love that. A hundred percent. I love it. <laughs> I do want to circle back to something you talked about because I think it's a, a, such an a, something I want to underscore because it's something that we experience all the time mm-hmm. and we know we know mm-hmm. in our heads it's true but we forget mm-hmm. and that is that when we have people responding to pretty much anything in our lives. Mm-hmm. What they say and their opinions are 99.9% about them mm-hmm. <laughs> and and as you put it so well they're Fear is mm-hmm. pretty much the number one motivating force mm-hmm. for the stuff that they will throw at us. And so if you don't mind giving us some examples of that or something to help concretize that for the listeners. I have so many. And so I'm just going to try to choose. Okay, so the two that stand out the most, um, and these are the highest drama ones, so take that with a grain of salt. But uh, I had somebody reach out to me that I know, I, I absolutely know, has been unhappy in her marriage for a lot of years. You know, adult children, not a great relationship. And like, I I know they haven't had sex in years and years and years. And I don't know her very well, but I know that to be true. And she was one of the first people to reach out. And she just said, I think you're making a huge mistake. You know, like, I think this is the worst mistake you could make for your children, et cetera, et cetera. And I was so struck because my first feeling was like, So this is a decision that I'm making that has literally nothing to do with you. But if you want to talk about your own marriage and your own choices, I'm happy to listen. Right. And that's not even from a place of judgment. That's like a a place of the words you are saying have literally nothing to do with my life. They're a hundred percent based in your life. Um, Exactly. But the other one that really got me and I, I'm, I am writing a book and this, I've remember I've held on to this example for so long because I want to get the wording of this perfectly as a direct quote. Um, our marriage ended three years ago, kind of like six weeks, eight weeks before Christmas. And so um, I ran into 
who was then a friend, uh, I ran into a, a friend <laughs> at like the dollar store getting Christmas decorations. And she had pulled me aside separately. And she was like, you know, I used to support you in this. And now I think you're just making a huge mistake, like a huge mistake. I think you're really throwing away. I think you're just throwing away a good thing. And I was like, you know, thanks for telling me that. Sorry, you feel that way. It's not the way I feel. Uh, and, and as I said, then I ran into her at this dollar store a few weeks later. She's like, you know, Lise, here's the thing. People are so angry because you pushed the ejector button. When we got married, we all signed a deal that we are in this together. And the deal was that we are going to suffer through it and look back on our six year anniversary at all the happy memories we made and just cut the cake. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because are you kidding me? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That is not like that arrangement does not a happy marriage make. And no, I did not sign a contract to suffer through it and look back at the end of my life, you know? So I thought that was a pretty poignant example. And for what it's worth, she too is now divorced. (laughs) So there's that. Oh my. (laughs) Well, I mean, you do you. Yes, yes. You want to be miserable till your 60th anniversary Mm -hmm. and just cut the cake and Mm -hmm. and that's your choice. Go for it. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of us out here who do not plan to live inauthentically, do not plan to phone it in because I've got one crack at this life and I am not. I mean, come on. I know. A friend. I know. It was wow. a little rough. <laughs> about her. And yeah. she was just so mad that you had yeah. the courage to step into authenticity. Yeah. And she did not, at least yeah. at that time, because apparently maybe... <laughs> Two years later, she did, yes. <laughs> and listen, I mean, no one oh, is yeah. saying divorce is a great thing. And that it's no. like, woo, woo, let's do this. Yeah. But also living a lie yeah. is not loving either. Hello, Agreed. does anyone understand that? You living a lie with your ex-husband mm-hmm. was not loving to him. I know. Exactly. 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 And that's what drives me crazy is people can't understand the flip side. Well, and you know, I got, there was so much feedback about like, what kind of example are you setting for the girls? And, mm-hmm. you know, later I would have the wherewithal to answer, you know, less officiously than this, but with things like I'm showing them how to make hard decisions. I'm showing them how to listen to what serves them best. I'm showing them how to show up for themselves and to listen to what they know to be true. You know, I'm showing them what a healthy lifestyle looks like. Cause I got to tell you, as I'm sure, again, I'm sure too many people will relate to, there was a lot of drinking happening to <laughs> overcompensate for some sure. feelings that I didn't want to feel, you know? Right. And so, wow, I showed my girls what it looks like to kind of take control of your own health and responsibility for your life too, by doing things that are not pleasant, but are still the right thing to do. And I think that is, again, divorce was so hard. And I also think it was really, really a brave thing to do, even though it encouraged so much loss and so much upset, um, that I'm not a hundred percent over. I can admit that freely. Um, it was still, it was still a brave decision to do, to make, and it was the right decision to make for us. And you did show them that. You mm-hmm. showed them how to live authentically and to take care and, mm-hmm. and take charge. Mm-hmm. Here's my life. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to just be in a stupor anymore mm-hmm. and, and 25 cocktails in, call it a life. Exactly. I mean, that's no way to go. So you showed them so much. And again, I, I, 
this is not, we're not trying to sit here and say, everyone go get divorced. That's oh God, no, point. please do. If you can avoid it, please, please avoid it. Like if you can work yeah. through it, please work through it. But. <laughs> exactly. But if, if it's something that like you, you mentioned, if, if you awake from a slumber yeah. and realize that you've stepped into a life that is not yours, I mean, essentially, right. yeah, it just wasn't your life. And that's the other thing too, is that, you know, I, it really cracks me up when people are like, oh, the marriage just fell apart no marriage just falls apart. Like no woman wakes up one day and is like, you know what? I'm actually really sick of seeing your dirty socks all over the floor. I'm out of this. No, (laughs) I had a literal notebook full of things that we had tried, you know, like communication tools and intimacy tools and therapists we'd visit and visited and healing modalities, you know, self-work, couples work. I I had exhausted it. It's not like I was like, eh, I'm kind of, I just don't really, I give up. I'm just not going to work on this anymore. It was, I had thrown the gauntlet. I had done everything I knew to be true and every possible action I could have taken, I took. And it didn't work. And that sucks. But um, when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. No, I have so many thoughts on that. That's one of the themes I talk about because, you know, I called off a wedding. So different, but some of the same emotions certainly at work. Yeah. And definitely not as devastating because it was two months before rather than several years into the marriage. But it, it definitely, I had those feelings of guilt and I felt yeah. like I was, I had ruined his life. I mean, we were, yeah. I was no baby. I was 34 when I called off the wedding yeah. and, and we'd been together four years and I felt like a failure. I yeah. felt, you know, people would ask me, you know, going back to the, the responses that people have, it's oh, just yeah. so interesting. And I appreciate that you, you mentioned that eventually you got to the point where you could respond in a way <laughs> that, that felt that you could be you and, yes. and be honest, but also not engage in the mess that people were throwing oh, at yeah. you that was really it belonged to them but yeah. when you're first when you're first going through something you don't have those responses ready I know <laughs> and I you just cry <laughs> you're just you're caught off guard all the time yeah. you feel like you're you've got this gaping open wound and people yeah. just are running around with salt to just shake it into the oh, yeah. wound and but yeah eventually I started to learn because I felt like I'd ruined his life I yeah. was this horrible person and I'm a psychologist, by the way. I maybe should have known. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> there's was, that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I finally realized that, like I said earlier, that, and, and it wasn't a response that I necessarily gave to everyone because sometimes I think, you know, I don't need to give them mm-hmm. everything. They can mm-hmm. come at me with what they want. As I get stronger, I can just put up my armor and, yeah. and like you said, okay, well, okay, I hear what you're saying and yeah. Okay. And, and leave. Thanks. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Thanks for that. I know. But I finally learned to be, to, to, I love this quote from Sex in the City where mm-hmm. someone says, I choose my choice. I know, I choose my choice, I choose my choice. <laughs> I love that one. I'm going to do an Insta post on that because I love it. It's when she's leaving the gallery and she's going to the business. She's like, I choose my choice. So finally I, I chose my choice and I was able to feel, to recognize that what I did was a step toward authenticity. The relationship was inauthentic. It would have been, as I mentioned earlier, it would have been unloving to marry a man who thinks he's marrying the love of his life when I, in fact, am not in love with him. Despite him being a great guy, he was not my guy. So finally, I was able to wrap my mind around that. And again, it's not as complex with three little kids and a marriage and a small town and so forth. But yeah, there are layers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are some layers. (laughs) Lisa and I obviously had plenty to talk about. So join us next time as we continue our conversation and Lise shares the messages she told herself, which allowed her to remain asleep in her own life. 
We also delve into the one major thing we all need to do to cultivate power in our lives. And Liz continues to share how she makes her life beautiful, despite the realities of chemotherapy and divorce. Lise can be found at her website, www.leesewilcox.ca, and Lise is L-E-I-S-S-E, Wilcox, W-I-L-C-O-X, dot C-A. You can reach her at lease at gmail.com and on Instagram at Lise Wilcox. The love and life hack for this week is, I choose my choice. When we take steps toward authenticity, Sometimes there are those along the way who don't agree with us, and the responses can derail us unless we remember to commit to the decision we know is right for us. And like Charlotte, we choose our choice. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, Make it a great week. Dr. Karen Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-April.